You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual It's a big news story, and I just got to talk about it. Hackers have seized control of internet-connected male chastity devices, and these hackers are demanding ransoms from the men whose cocks they've locked up. These men have been getting messages that read, Your cock is mine now, along with a demand for payment in Bitcoin. And this, according to a report in Vice, is going to prompt some men to think twice about putting their dicks into these devices and tank sales. Uh, yeah, no, Vice. Knowing what I know about guys who like chastity devices, your cock is mine now, is exactly what they want to hear. If anything, this news is going to lead to a spike in sales. If the company that makes these devices, Cellmate, if they make a model that comes with internal spikes, they're going to sell out of those first. There is, of course, other news. Looks like we are impeaching the motherfucker again. I hope everyone who bought ITMFA merch from us, everyone out there who helped us raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight Donald Trump. I hope you've held on to your t-shirts and hoodies and mugs because it is on. Some part of me can't believe it has been almost a week since MAGA fascists on Trump's orders stormed the U.S. Capitol, which was largely unprotected also on Trump's orders And yet Donald Trump, after committing treason, is somehow still president of the United States. Some folks on Twitter and other places are debating whether what we all just witnessed and really went through was a coup or if it was merely an insurrection, whatever it was, whatever else it was. It was also attempted mass murder. Trump stormtroopers beat a cop to death while waving Blue Lives Matter flags. If they had gotten their hands on Nancy Pelosi or AOC, or Ilan Omar, or Chuck Schumer, or Mitt Romney, or Mike Pence, if the guys with zip ties had managed to break into the House or Senate chambers 10 minutes sooner, we would have watched live stream political assassinations last week. And I'm sorry, but what the fuck is wrong with Mike Pence? I mean, besides all the obvious things that we already knew were wrong with Mike Pence, what the fuck is wrong with Mike Pence? Donald Trump tried to get him killed. The president tried to get the vice president killed because the vice president wouldn't help Trump. The president overturned the results of the free and fair election that Trump lost. And so the president sent crowds into the U.S. Capitol chanting, hang Mike Pence, after erecting a working gallows with a noose hanging from it on the Capitol grounds. And Mike Pence won't remove Trump from power by invoking the 25th Amendment? And I want to say what the fuck is wrong with the Republican Party, but I think we know what is wrong with the Republican Party. These are racist, treasonous motherfuckers, and it's got to end. All that said, it feels weird. It feels like denial to try to look ahead, even a few weeks or a few months. But I got to say, Dems need to deliver. Republicans act like they have a mandate when they don't. Republicans act like they have a mandate when their guy loses the popular vote by millions, but still manages to win the White House thanks to the Electoral College, George W. Bush, Donald J. Trump. Dems actually have a mandate here and need to act like it. Dems 
won the White House by millions. Dems don't have large majorities in the House or Senate, but House and Senate Dems represent tens of millions more Americans and got millions more votes than their Republican counterparts. Dems can't be cowed, particularly now, by accusations of what? What is it that the Republicans always say about the Democrats? That they're radicals. That's what Kelly Loeffler said about Raphael Warnock in the Georgia election that Raphael Warnock won, that he was a dangerous radical. Well, now we've seen the faces of dangerous radicals, and they weren't Democrats. They were Republicans. Democrats can't be cowed by the dangerous radical accusation. It is not going to stick. So Dems, go ahead, add a public option to Obamacare that is simple and straightforward and offers comprehensive coverage. Make D.C. a state, offer statehood to Puerto Rico, election reform, hell, bring an amendment to the floor of the House to end the electoral college. Move on these things. While you have these majorities, which may not last forever, and while you have this mandate, because Undoing something is harder than doing it. As we've seen with Obamacare, which Republicans said when they took control, they would end, but they weren't able to. D.C. statehood, which the riots in D.C. made the need for so apparent because the mayor of D.C. couldn't call out the National Guard. She had to wait on the president who wouldn't call out the National Guard because the rioters were doing exactly what he wanted them to do. The need for D.C. statehood clearer now than it has ever been, juster now than it has ever been. And Republicans will accuse Democrats of being radicals if they make D.C. a state. But you know what they're not going to be able to do? Undo statehood. When was the last time a state was undone? And if they try it, then we promise to undo Dakota. One of them. We'll just pick one. We'll merge those states. We will undo a Republican state if they attempt to undo D.C. as a state. Once we have made D.C. a state, which the Democrats can do next Weak and should because they have a mandate. So you want that public option? You want D.C. to be a state? You want the Green New Deal? Let them know. Make some noise. Talk to the Democrats. You know why the gays got in the first two years of Barack Obama's administration? Don't ask, don't tell repealed when so little else moved because we screamed and yelled, because we made noise, because we spoke to Barack Obama, we spoke to the Obama administration firmly, clearly, and emphatically that we wanted this promise kept. Biden and the House and Senate Democrats, they made us promises that we want kept. So we have to demand of Dems in Washington that they deliver. What we can't do after the violence we saw in D.C. last week, after, I hate to say it, the violence we are likelier to see in the weeks ahead, cower in a corner. Dems can't cower in the corner, afraid to do anything lest what? Lest we provoke these people who are already provoked? If we don't act because we're afraid of provoking them, that just creates an incentive for Republicans to continue to provoke their base to acts of violence. So throw it in their faces. Statehood for fucking D.C., the public option, the Voting Rights Act, demilitarizing our police forces, deliver on the whole Dem agenda, don't let them take this country hostage the way they have in the past, the way they are threatening to do now. That's my message to elected Dems. And I know one or two listen to this show, actually. My message to my listeners, though, is that we have to continue to say that. We have to demand it. 
I would hope, after what Dems have went through in the last week, that that would put steel in their spines. Just in case, let's make sure that we continue to put steel in their spines. Let's make sure that we demand that they act like they have the mandate, the motherfucker they have, and that they deliver on what was promised. It's January 12th. We have eight more days. Eight more days of Donald Trump as president of the United States, most likely to get through before Joe Biden is sworn in on January 20th. A lot can happen in eight days, but we expect a lot to happen after January 20th. Good things, just things, things we've been fighting for for a long time. We're going to have to stay in the fight to make those things happen. And I will be right there with you, fighting alongside you. All right, coming up on today's show, on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, Michael C., host of the Keys and Anklets podcast, joins me to tackle a cuckolding in question. All that coming up on today's show. Hey, Dan. Quarantine sex success story here. My mother has been living with us for about the past six months during this whole quarantine. And she had a day where she's like, I'm going to run a bunch of errands. I'm going to do a lot of Christmas shopping. I'm going to be out of the house all day. And as she was gone, my husband started watching some porn. And it was very fraternity-based, let's say. And I walked in and I said, whoa, cool porn, bro. And he said, yeah, bro. And for the next three hours, we had this intense verbal bro bait session. Something had come over the both of us where we were disgusting little pervert pigs saying every filthy word we could imagine. Now, keep in mind, my mother is Mormon. We do not swear around the house when she's there. Out of respect, kind of out of habit as well. I It felt amazing to talk about penis and balls and man smell and dick and just jerking off and blowing each other for three intense hours. We took on these crazy bro personas and went wild on each other. It was truly one of the most amazing experiences of my life. If you need to spice it up, get a new persona, bro. Pull your dick out, see what happens. Pull your dick out, see what happens. Great advice if you're in an established relationship. Not such great advice if you're on a first date or a work Zoom call. The moral of the story, I think, here is for couples to seize opportunities for role play or anything else. Thank you for calling in and sharing your success story, bro. Got a success story of your own? Call in and share, and we might start next week's show with yours. Hey, Dan. I am a 28-year-old hetero woman living in Austin, Texas, and I had a question about somebody's reaction to a dating app. So I met this guy on a dating app. I really liked him. We decided that we would exchange numbers and we would talk on the phone and FaceTime and all those things while we're still in the middle of a pandemic. We've been talking for a few weeks and it's been really nice. I really like him. I found him on another dating app that was different than the one that I had originally matched with him on. And yesterday I decided to send him a like as a funny, cheeky, like, ha ha ha, I see you 
whatever. And he lost his shit. (laughs) He basically said that I was a liar about my feelings because I'm still on dating apps and that anything that I said was bullshit because I still was on dating apps. And my response was that we never talked about being exclusive. We haven't even met yet. And to ask me to not be on dating apps and not look for companionship or some sort of entertainment while I live alone during a pandemic is kind of ridiculous. Dan, I really like this guy, but was his reaction toxic? Do I just cut him off? Was my response okay? I think you owe him an apology, frankly. I think you really fucked up what could have been a bit. No, oh my God, this guy revealed himself to be in that moment and asshole you thought you liked him as you were getting to know him and what you've discovered is he is an unlikable toxic piece of shit the mask slip you saw the jerk behind the mask you know everybody puts a mask on when you first meet whether you're meeting on dating apps whether you're meeting in public and bars through friends you put on you know your best face you put on a little bit of a mask and dating and getting to know someone is getting to look behind that mask. And sometimes you look behind the mask and what's behind the mask is very similar. The mask is an accurate, idealized representation of the person behind it. But sometimes you peek behind the mask and what you find is a toxic garbage dump of a human being. And at that moment, you shut it down and you run, you run. And thank God that this guy... The mask slipped before you met him in person, before you got married, before you had children. Sometimes it takes that long for the mask to slip and someone to see who they're really with. This guy, two weeks in on a dating app, outs himself as a toxic, double standard, spewing, sexist, garbage piece of shit that you should be well rid of. It concerns me. Not that there's an asshole on a dating app. There are lots of assholes on dating apps. It concerns me that you're wondering what you might have done wrong here or if you could have handled it better you said the right thing to him like we haven't even met yet it's been two weeks we're not exclusive you could have added if i'm not supposed to be on a dating app what the fuck are you doing on a dating app but then you needed to turn on your heel and walk out the door and slam the door everything you said was all right goodbye not oh if i can just explain myself well enough maybe he'll put the nice guy mask back on and i can then suspend my disbelief and think he is the nice guy that he lied to me about being when we first met. No, 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 no. He is an asshole. Block him. Block him on the app where you met him. Block him on the app where you stumbled over him and never give him another thought and light a little candle and set it in front of the baby Jesus that you didn't fuck this guy, that you hadn't actually met up with him in person, that he doesn't know where you live. He is an asshole. You're well rid of him. Stop wringing your hands about what you did wrong. You did nothing wrong. Hi, Dan. So this just happened, or I just found out about it like two seconds ago, which is that my this person, I was dating this person for uh, like six months, and we really liked each other, but we ended up splitting up. I didn't want to split up, but I, I do understand why she did it. Anyway, that was we dated for about six months. We split up, and then a week later, my best friend who or one of my best friends very someone very close with and we've known each other for like 15 years he tells me that he has been fucking her or that they started fucking recently like right after basically you know the week after i split up anyway i feel really bad i feel really (sighs) try not to cry all right i'm really bummed out i'm really sad it feels like a betrayal i asked him to please stop fucking her at least for now like because i'm like not really over splitting up i don't know i still feel bummed out about splitting up and 
now they're they're banging. I don't know. It just feels weird. Uh, is this crazy? Am I fucking out of line here to be like super bummed, super sad, and to ask him to please not? Or and also like, why didn't they? Could he not have mentioned that before they started fucking? Like, mentioned something to me. Anyway, I don't know. Your friend could have mentioned it to you before. He could have gone to you before he started fucking your ex-girlfriend, the woman who had just dumped you, could have gone to you and said, I'd like to start fucking her. But he knew that you would ask him not to. So your friend did that thing that people sometimes do where they'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. And what the message there in your friends, you know, would rather ask for forgiveness than permission move was he was going to fuck her whether you asked him to or not, whether you wanted him to or not, he knew you wouldn't want him to. So he didn't say anything. And in a way, you know, she's your ex. He's a friend, a close friend. They are autonomous individuals. They're free to fuck other consenting adults. You would like, of course, for a friend to take your feelings into consideration. And of course you were going to have feelings about your ex moving on when you get dumped by somebody and it's easier for that person to move on than it is for you to move on as you've just been dumped. They wanted to end the relationship for reasons, their reasons. You didn't want to end the relationship. Maybe you didn't even know the relationship was doomed. You didn't know they were unhappy. You found out when they dumped you and it's painful. And what a lot of us need to do after a relationship ends is to cut that person who dumped us out of our lives in a way, pretend they don't exist, even as we obsess about them, try not to think about them, certainly try not to think about who they're with now or who they dumped us for. And by pivoting to your very good friend, your girlfriend made it impossible for you to build that little psychic wall around your feelings, to, to you know put her out of your mind, to pretend, even though it's very difficult, to pretend that she doesn't exist so you could get over her. Or start to get over her by grieving this relationship and how it ended. And your friend fucking your ex-girlfriend, the woman who just dumped you, the woman who just broke your heart, complicated the grieving process. Because now you haven't just lost your girlfriend, you've lost him too, at least for now. In the same way that you need to be away from your ex-girlfriend so that the wounds can close and you can heal, you're going to need to be away from this guy. Because he is a wound as well right now parallel wound or he made the wound that she inflicted deeper or ripped it back open after it had barely begun to close up <sighs> i'm really sorry I, I ache for you to be dumped like this and then for your ex-girlfriend to start fucking a friend of yours which makes it impossible for her to exit your life psychically for you to get her out of your mind for you to have a universe in which she isn't Memories of her or, or, or re the reality of her doesn't intrude. But again, they are free and autonomous individuals. They have every right to fuck whoever they want to fuck. She doesn't answer to you. We don't have veto over who our friends fuck. Talk about this in relationship to gay land versus straight land a lot. There's this bro code in straight land and girlfriend code in straight land where you don't sleep with or date exes of friends or even in some instances, as we've heard on this show, which I think are crazy, you can't date somebody that a friend had a crush on. Even if that person never had a crush on your friend, even if they never dated, they just have dibs because they had feelings or desires or wants or attractions. And that 
bars you from ever acting on your own attraction vampires. That stuff is crazy. In Gayland, because we're such a tiny percent of the population, we don't have the luxury of dictating to our friends like this. We do, however, have a right to expect our friends will be considerate of our feelings. Perhaps your ex-girlfriend and your ex, for now at least, friend, out of consideration for your feelings, could have waited, could have snuck around successfully for six months or a year. Not that it wouldn't have been painful to find out that six months that they had started fucking a couple of weeks after you'd broken up or after she dumped you would have been painful. Perhaps not as painful as to find out immediately after the dumping. But there was a lack of consideration here. And you have a right to be angry about that. Neither of them seem to be capable of empathizing with you or your position or how you might feel once you found out about this. So a girlfriend who's incapable of empathy, who's inconsiderate, not a girlfriend you want to have, right? Not a girlfriend you have anymore because she has exited your life. Perhaps she did you a favor. A friend, a close friend, can't take your feelings into consideration, isn't capable of empathy, someone else you might not want to have in your life anymore going forward. Hi, Dan. I'm now 38 years old. I've been married for 11 years with three children. And just in the past two years, I figured out I'm bi. I don't know what shifted. Uh, I don't think I was closeted or suppressing anything. I was always attracted to women, but now men are catching my eye and really taking over my fantasies. So about two years ago, I came out to my wife, and thus far only to her. It wasn't easy. I'm changing the terms of our relationship, and I regret that. She wasn't happy. She was certainly confused. She did start down the path of the bi-erasure argument that I can't be bi if I'm in a hetero relationship, but I didn't let her talk me out of my sexuality. She wasn't visibly upset. It didn't change our relationship, but we're still having maintenance sex, and she doesn't want to talk about it. I haven't cheated on her. I'm still in love. I'm still attracted to her. And now this has become an unspoken issue between us. I will steer us into couples counseling before I do anything drastic. It's been really easy to put off that commitment amid all these challenges of the pandemic and parenting young kids, but I promise I'll do my best I can to save the relationship and not default to being a cheating piece of shit. But what's really changed for me this year was COVID. You know, we're surviving a highly contagious, potentially fatal or life-altering disease, and that's really brought my mortality to mind more than it ever has before which made me think about my bucket list. And my bucket list is all sex, mostly gay sex. If I die without having a gay encounter, that'll be a big regret. We live in a house in an affluent suburb surrounded by thousands of other you know, superficially happy families. There have to be other erased by dads like me out there. Guys who want to fool around with men but aren't really seeking it out. I don't aspire to getting out to the gay bar scene or anything like that. I've looked at Grindr, but it felt like you know, a varsity-level gay hookup app where I was quickly out of my depth. I'm new to this. 
I don't want much. I just want to find other dads who are like you know, poker buddies, except we maybe trade blowjobs or fuck once in a while. How can us borderline bi guys find each other? What tips do you have for for me to identify myself as bi? And what should I look out for in other men? You know, what can I do to help unerase the bi dads? So you don't want to be a cheating piece of shit, but you want me to tell you where you can find the secret store of closeted bi dads in the suburbs who might want to have poker buddies they occasionally fillet. I don't know where those guys are. Well, actually, I do know where those guys are. Those guys who, whether they're closeted about their bisexuality or just allowing people to assume they're heterosexual because they're in opposite sex relationships out there in the suburbs. Uh, I know where those guys are. They are on the internet. They're on the gay dating apps like Grindr and like Scruff. If you're interested in meeting other guys like you, you just need to get on the apps and be open about who you are and what you're interested in and the kind of relationship or the kind of contact that you'd like to have with another man. Ideally, your fantasy guy is similarly situated, whether that means you're attracted to that particular type, to your particular type, or you think that that type of guy would be a safer playmate and less of a threat to your relationship, to your family, less of a threat or would be perceived as less threatening by your wife after you renegotiate the terms of your relationship in couples counseling are two different things. Maybe those are the kind of guys who turn you on. Maybe you think they're more presentable or less threatening for you or the wife. All that said, you know, came out to your wife two years ago. She didn't take it well. She's engaged in acts of bi erasures, tried to talk you out of identifying as bi. Seems to me that the odds, even with a sex positive, bi positive couples counselor, the odds of your wife signing off on you running around, not that you're planning on running around, you know what I mean, of you getting out there and sucking a little dick, scratching that off your bucket list, are pretty low. Your wife is likely to be threatened by this. So before you go into those couples counseling sessions, you really need to ask yourself whether getting to suck some dick, whether getting to act on your attractions to men is something that you're willing to end your marriage over because it could end your marriage. This is not a couples counseling session. It's in some ways or a series of couples counseling sessions, in some ways it's a showdown. You may go into that couples counseling session with your own ultimatum. For you to stay in this marriage, there has to be some space for you to pursue some limited sexual contact with other poker playing soccer dads. Her ultimatum, her counter may be, if you want to do that, we can't stay married. I don't want to be in an open relationship. This isn't just about bisexuality. This is about open or closed. And when you went into this marriage, it was closed. You agreed to those terms. Good on you that you want to honestly, and in an above board way, renegotiate those terms, but you need to contemplate before you reopen those negotiations. What your position is going to be if the answer from the wife is no. Are you prepared to end the marriage? To get some dick. And I'll leave you with this. You know, I think if you're with somebody for 50 years and they only cheated on you once or twice, they were pretty good at monogamy, not bad at monogamy. So, you know, if you're with your wife for the rest of your life and you get one dick in your mouth, you scratch that off the bucket list on a business trip. Once business trips are a thing again, 
And then you recommit to the wife, you fall off the monogamy wagon that one time or that one dick, and then you sober the fuck back up and climb back up onto that monogamy wagon. I would allow it. There are risks there too. If you get caught, then you're the cheating piece of shit. She ends the relationship. If you don't get caught, well, then you just have to live with the guilt. But that kind of guilt is something a lot of people live with and manage to live with successfully. Here's hoping your wife in those couples counseling sessions is willing to open the relationship up, not just for you. She may want to open it up for her as well. Dick might be on your bucket list. Some other guy's dick or dicks could also be on hers. Here's hoping that's the case. Hey, Dan, I've got this issue. Some of my friends are conservative leaning. Actually, I'm pretty conservative myself. I'm just not brainwashed by bullshit like all my conservative leaning friends are. You know, because of this, I've ejected a lot of them from my life. And my wife has not ejected them from her life. Now, I don't want to be the heavy-handed asshole who cuts her off from her friends, even though most of them were my friends first anyway. Uh, but uh, this has become a dilemma for me. She wants to keep these uh, Trump-supporting brainwashed assholes as friends, and and I just don't want to be around them, and I don't want them to be at my house. But I do not dissuade her from visiting them. I do not do anything to cut her off from people because I see that as a really big red flag, thanks to you. What do I do? So I, I find myself really torn and not – knowing exactly what to tell you or how to advise you on the one hand, you know, you're absolutely right. You can't tell your wife who she should see or can see or is allowed to see. You can't dictate to her who her friends can be. And I'm glad that's one of the things you've taken away from listening to our show. That is evidence of controlling behavior. And it's often good and healthy for a couple to have some separate social circles, some you know social contacts that are their own, they can go out and hang out with without the spouse. Gives you something to talk about when they come home. And you know, my husband has some friends that are lovely that he has a better rapport with and a tighter connection with than I do, and he sees them alone sometimes. That's fine, but they're not fascists. Well, you know, there's there's one of the issues. I don't think these people believe they're fascists. Uh, a, a couple of them, I'm certain they're they're uh, uh, women in their in their 40s and early 50s, and uh, they've just always been Republicans. And but you know, I under I understand that. But they're drinking the Trump Kool Aid and regurgitating the Trump Kool Aid, right? Uh, yeah. And yeah. they're buying into conspiracy theories. Uh, yeah, and some of that gets whack. I mean, some of them it it, it, it goes all the way into things like chemtrails. Chemtrails and, you know, John Roberts murders and eats children. That's a new one. The Republican appointed by George W. Bush to, to, to head up the Supreme Court, the Republican who gutted the Voting Rights Act. That Republican is a deep state liberal plant who eats babies with Hillary Clinton on Jeffrey Epstein's island. You know, uh. crazy is an ableist term and we try to avoid using it and we've retired the phrase, don't stick your dick in crazy. But in some ways, you know, your wife being friends with people who are crazy and you being that kind of crazy adjacent, I don't think it's merely like we have a disagreement about choice, about about abortion. You know, I have a really good friend I'm really tight with 
who is anti-choice, but she's a reasonable person. I think that's an unreasonable position for her to take. I think there's some cognitive dissonance there, uh, particularly when you look at her other positions uh, on politics. And we talk about it. We can argue about it. But I'm not arguing with her about whether Hillary Clinton runs a child prostitution murder network out of a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C. Right. And if that, you know, if I liked her in many other ways, but she believed that, I don't think I could be her friend. I don't think I would want my husband to hang out with her. I wouldn't trust her alone with my kid because it just, it's like the tip of a insanity iceberg that makes me worry about everything lurking underneath. And, yeah. you know, it's it, it's bad. We're, we're not supposed to say, you know, cut people off for political reasons. Don't talk to people who disagree with you about politics. But there has to be a line past which it's not just a disagreement about politics. Well, yeah. You know, like like I, uh, I've said many times, if, if, if you've always been a Republican and you decided to vote for the buffoon once, mm-hmm. that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But after four years of his insanity and treachery and inhumanity to do it again, that's. That that kind of that kind of puts you on a different plateau did in you my vote, mind. Did you vote for him in 2016? No. Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, I you know I I've actually been a Republican my whole life, and the day I became not a Republican was when they put a a failed game show host uh, turned politician in in the you know in the ring. It, it's been a staggering five years, not four, five. You know, the party of personal responsibility nominating this guy who can never take responsibility for anything, the party of free trade and constitution, U.S. constitution fetishism, supporting this guy who is feeding the constitution into a shredder. But that's, you know, I'm sorry, that's not anything new. George W. Bush fed certain chunks of the constitution into the shredder uh, when he was president, too. This is a really tough position for you to be in. You know, you're talking about your wife. Is she getting sucked into these conspiracy theories? Is she giving friends the benefit of the doubt? Are they pouring this poison in her ear and is it having an effect? No. I think what's going on is they just don't talk about it. You know? Mm-hmm. And I, I I guess that's what they do is they just don't talk about it. But, you know, among among the craziness is – they think coronavirus is a hoax. And one of them, uh, she is absolutely reckless. I see pictures of her going out to bike rides with dozens and dozens of people, uh, shaking hands, hugging people, no masks. Uh, another one, uh, I know her husband is exactly like that. So it's not just your wife is hanging out with people who hold political views that are offensive and lunatic it's that your wife is hanging out with people who are taking risks putting your wife at risk and then she's coming home putting you at risk when they're together she says that they are they are very careful in fact she she went over for a visit and the husband that i was talking about who i think is reckless actually sent me a photograph of my wife and she was a good 10 feet from everybody else was she inside no, it was outside, and and she was spaced a really good distance away. All right, it's still a risk. It's still a risk. I know, and in in the foreground of that same photograph is it, it, two other people that 
no mask and sitting at the same table. Well, I think you have a right to advocate for your own health and safety and tell your wife, go ahead and hang out with them on the computer. But if you're going to live here with me and breathe droplets in my face when we lay next to each other in bed at night, you can't see them physically. The risk is too great. And as much as I trust you, I don't trust them. And one photo with her 10 feet away doesn't mean she was 10 feet away the entire time. And that there was right. no moment, even if they were attempting to, to maintain distance where someone crossed behind her or came close enough to her by accident, not with malicious intent, but, you know, a group of people moving around, the odds that everyone is always the exact same distance from each other, a safe distance from each other, plummets. I would, if I were yeah. to leave aside the, you know, maybe the health and safety is a good catch-all that's going to scoop up people who have these insane political beliefs right now that you don't want to be associated with, that you don't want infecting your wife, to, to go with the health and safety thing and to say, look, we, the, the vaccines are coming, but we are, it is going to be worse for the next few months than it has been over the last nine months. Yeah. You have a right to, like, draw a line. And say the next three, four months until everyone is vaccinated or enough people are vaccinated for there to be widespread immunity, you can't see them in person. You can't do that to me. Imagine how you will feel, wife of mine, if I fucking die. Yeah. Because Zoom wasn't good enough for you. And then you're kicking the like, you're, you're kicking the conversations about whether you want people in your life or even in your orbit who believe that John Roberts is a lizard who eats children just by, you know, making use of sidestepping that issue for now and use the pandemic. Not as an excuse. I don't think using the pandemic is an excuse. I think it's perfectly rational. It may be the graver danger. It, it actually is the graver danger and the more immediate danger oh, yeah. to you than your wife visiting, you know, having some friends who are, conspiracy theorists who may be lovely in lots of other ways. I'm, I'm in an area where our ICUs are full. My, my next door neighbor has it and she's in a bed in the emergency room because the ICU is full. Put your foot down. Yeah. And it, down. It, the fact of the matter is since the next door neighbors all got it, she's, she's been way better. I mean, it, no more, no more shopping trips and she's, she's been way better. Why do people need it to happen to someone in their family, to them or someone next door to get it? You know, not believing that the, uh, the pandemic is a thing. Does not make the pandemic not a thing? And there are so many people, particularly conservatives who don't think something is real or something they need to be concerned about until it happens to them. Then they, I am so right. sick. I, I'm sure you're sick of reading these stories too. Stories in the paper about somebody's like, Oh, I wasn't taking the pandemic seriously. I thought it was hoax. Then my whole family got it. Everyone needs to not make the mistake I made and take it seriously. If everyone has to get hit by the meteor for us to take the meteor shower seriously, we're all going to die. We're all going to get hit yeah. by the meteor. I'm, I, I'm sorry that you have so many deranged conspiracy theorists in your life, in your orbit, uh, I would, if I were you move them out. And if your wife hasn't succumbed to them yet, I would run interference just as strongly as I possibly could to make sure that she doesn't because it's splitting up families. You see it on Reddit yeah. threads about QAnon. You see it on Reddit threads about 
Trump in the election. Families are breaking up over this because this kind of tribalism, this toxic tribalism, and when with one tribe not having to marshal facts or evidence, it's all just faith-based, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break up families and it could break up yours. So I would right now, while you still can, run interference, draw a line, reason with your wife, try to deprogram her, but at the very least, insist and demand that she not accidentally kill you. Advocate for your own health and safety. Yeah, I really think our relationship is pretty stable. I mean, we, we are both in the greatest relationship of our lives. So that does, it's very clear that, that that's right. our priority. Then tell her, imagine how terrible she'll feel if she kills you. Ask yeah. her if she thinks the relationship is great too and she'd like it to go on or she's willing to run the risk of killing herself or killing you or killing both of you. To hang out with fucking idiots. Yeah, no, she shouldn't want to gamble her marriage, her life, her husband's life to hang out with idiots, reckless idiots. Right. Good luck, man. Right. Hey, hey, thanks for calling and happy, uh, happy new year. Happy new year to you too. Thank you for being a sane one. Hey Dan, I love you so much. I'm a 31 year old pansexual woman from Texas, the good part of Texas, let me add. Um, and I just wanted to get your advice and tips on something. Um, so for a while I've had like this kink that is not very common. So I don't really tell people about it. Um, but it has to do with like, uh, consensual non-consent, knife play, gun play, fear play, and even like some snuff role play. And surprisingly, I've been finding a lot of, of guys who are into that as well. And it seems to be like really popular on TikTok. And, and I'm, I'm really hesitant about it, of course, because it's a really dangerous thing to do. But I was just wondering what tips do you have? What's the safest way to go about it? I know for gunplay, that's like the most dangerous thing. So, you know, just any advice you could give me, I'd appreciate it. People used to talk about safe, sane, and consensual, and that's what BDSM should be and kink should be and power exchange should be and what you're interested in is a very particular and edgy kind of power exchange. These days, people talk about RAC, risk-aware consensual kink, acknowledging that sex, kinky or otherwise, isn't always – you're not always able to ensure that it's 100% perfectly safe. And we're comfortable with things not being 100% safe when it comes to anything that doesn't involve genitals or turn-ons or orgasms. People go skiing and slam into trees and die. There's a certain risk there when you get on the mountain. People understand it and are okay with it. Nobody says no one should ever ski because sometimes people get hurt. But when it comes to sex, no one should ever do acts because sometimes people get hurt. That is something a lot of people are comfortable saying. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there right now who are saying it about your particular kinks. This kind of edge play, consensual, non-consensual sex, which is a kind of bungee jump-ish ravage scene, right? Or gunplay or snuff role play, which is where you pretend together that one of you is or has killed the other. That's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable to think about because it seems so reckless to invite someone into your life, into your bedroom, who's turned on by the thought of pointing a loaded gun at someone, not that anyone should ever point a loaded gun at someone during gunplay sex or at any other time. But people are uncomfortable with that because it just seems so reckless. It seems so risky. Well, How do you control for the risk? That's the question here for someone with your kind of sexual interest. Somebody who's interested in just 
plain old, almost vanilla now in a lot of people's minds, bondage. You're helpless. How do you control for the risk in that situation? Well, you have to not just be interested in the kind of bondage you're in, but the person who put you in that kind of bondage. You have to know who they are. You have to know the best of your ability to the furthest possible extent that you can ascertain it that that person is safe and trustworthy, even as you do something risky together. So when it comes to somebody who's going to tie you up or somebody who's going to put a noose over your neck and you're going to engage in this kind of role play with, you need to know them. You need to get to know them. You need to interrogate them. You need to ensure that you can trust them. You need to know their real name. You need to know where they live. You need to know where they work. It would help to know who else they've played with. It would help to maybe have some conversations with other people that they've played with. Those kinds of conversations can be facilitated by getting involved in an organized kink scene or kink community. And then letting people know as you get to know them better, as you feel safe, confiding in people that you're into this kind of edge play and find your way to other people who are involved in the kink scene who are into that kind of edge play too and have some experience and have former play partners who live to tell the tale and are willing to vouch for them. I think that's very important. This means you're not going to do any of this with some stranger that you met on TikTok. Not at least until that stranger you met on TikTok isn't a stranger anymore. Not until you've gotten to know them. Could you be shined, wined, and dined by some sociopath on TikTok who convinces you that they're safe to do these things with, who then in the moment proves to you that they were the wrong choice? Yes, that is something that could happen. That could happen to somebody who's also interested in vanilla sex as well. That has happened to people who are interested in vanilla sex as well. But the bar is, you need to set the bar higher for yourself. You need to be more vigilant because you want to make yourself vulnerable in more extreme ways in pursuit of your kinks than someone who's only interested in vanilla sex or even say light bondage. So you're going to do this with somebody and not just fantasize about it. Real names, real phone numbers, real references. And it's going to take time to negotiate the scene. And it's going to take just as much time or more time to establish that there's someone that you can risk trusting. Hi, I'm a hetero woman in my 40s. I had an affair. I'm married for 10 years. He was married as well. I fell in love for him very hard. And I ended up getting pregnant from my husband. So with that, the whole thing blew up. And after much suffering and sadness and heartbreak, my husband and I decided to stay together because of our baby and try to work on our marriage. Now our baby's 10 months and we both love her very much. We are good friends. Things are okay. Not much drama, but I feel like I'm not in love with my husband and can never fall in love with him again in a romantic way, even though I really want to. I'm fine. Keep trying. But the sex thing has been hard. i not horny at all. I have absolutely zero libido right now. And I've told my husband many times, and it could be breastfeeding hormones. It could be just trauma from everything that happened and from honestly still being in love with someone else. 
even though I haven't seen my former lover for many, many months now. Anyway, my husband keeps asking for sex nonstop, and every now and then we do have sex, but I feel awkward. Uh, I'm not really into it. I try to talk to him. I try to suggest renegotiating the terms of our relationship and opening our relationship so he could potentially have, have sex with other people. He was not into it at all. I can't even think about it. I can't even go there. I'm just like, eh, not into sex at all right now. And I want to be there for him that way. But at the same time, I get really resentful that he doesn't respect that I'm not horny at all. First, there's a lot of people out there who are breastfeeding infants and find that that is a libido killer. So it's not uncommon for someone with a 10-month-old infant at home that they're breastfeeding to have no libido. I don't think, though, even if you didn't have a 10-month-old infant at home, and even if you weren't breastfeeding, that you would be interested in fucking your husband. You're not attracted to your husband. You're not sexually interested in your husband. You say you're not in love with your husband. You also say that you're both in love with your new child, that you are good partners and you're good friends. You're not romantically interested in him. And that's probably not going to change when you stop breastfeeding. So you're going to need to have that conversation with your husband about opening the relationship again and not frame it as a favor that you're doing for him. He may have reacted negatively when you brought up opening the relationship because you described it as something you were doing for him so he could have sex with other people. It's something that you want to do for you. You want to have sex with somebody. You wanted to have sex with your former lover. You had a libido where he was concerned. You had a libido when he was around because you desired him sexually and you do not desire your husband sexually. So opening the relationship, although it might benefit your husband too, it would free him to have sex with other people who wanted to have sex with him. Opening the relationship is primarily about freeing yourself. This isn't just renegotiating the sexual terms of your relationship. This is an entirely new understanding of what your relationship, what your marriage is. And your husband is very likely to experience this as a humiliating downgrade. You stayed with him after you got pregnant, dedicated yourself to working on the marriage, but you couldn't make the marriage into something that it wasn't. Maybe it was once upon a time, but hasn't been for a long time which is a relationship defined by a strong sexual component, by mutual sexual attraction and desire. You might be content in this marriage. You might be more content with your husband if you were able to be with him and still able to be with your lover or seek sexual fulfillment outside the relationship. What you're asking him for, and it may not be an ask, it may be an ultimatum, but what you're asking him for is to redefine your marriage as companionate. You are companions, you are friends, you are partners, you are parenting together, you share expenses, you share a household, you're a unit. But you are not lovers. You do not have sex. When you do have sex, you don't have sex with each other. When you do have sex, it is with other people. And it may terrify your husband to contemplate what that would mean, how that would play out practically, logistically. That's a whole other conversation. It's a whole other set of negotiations that you'll need to have. 
if opening the relationship means that the child is neglected, the household is neglected, his needs, emotional needs you know, for your friendship, for your companionship, all of that is neglected because your focus is entirely on your lover. Well, that not, might not be the kind of companion and open relationship marriage that he would be content in. If what it means is that you guys live together as a couple perceived to be monogamous, perceived as socially monogamous, even if you're not sexually monogamous, even if you never have sex with each other. And every once in a while, once a month, once every couple of months, you have sex with your lover or someone else and he does. But for the most part, nothing else changes that the other lover or other lovers aren't a distraction that destabilizes your household by demanding too much from you emotionally or too much of your time or too much from him emotionally or too much of his time so that you and your family, the child you're raising together are still your focus. If that's possible, maybe it would work, but what you're doing now isn't going to work. I wouldn't recommend that you issue this ultimatum right now. I think you should wait six months, 10 months. You might want to say to your husband, like a lot of breastfeeding women, I have no libido right now. So we are, the sex is not going to happen. I'll help you out with a little masturbation now and then hand job, but like full sex right now, just not interested, just had a baby breastfeeding. Most men in your position with wives who are breastfeeding infants don't get to have a lot of sex. So tough shit. That's how it'll be right now. And then wait six months, a year, once you've stopped breastfeeding, who knows? Maybe your libido will kick back into gear. Maybe you'll be attracted to your husband suddenly. Odds are you won't. And at that point, once you know that your feelings are not going to change, you should reopen negotiations about reopening negotiations about renegotiating your relationship and what it's going to mean going forward. Odds are very good when you reopen the reopening of the negotiations and the renegotiations that it will end the relationship. It'll end the marriage. You will wind up divorced. But if he wants to stay, if being with you, co-parenting together, keeping your family together is worth him wrapping his head around a new kind of marriage, a companionate marriage, an open relationship, maybe your marriage will survive. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I am a 27-year-old bisexual living in the South, single woman. I'm moving out West in the spring. I'm super excited to get out of the Bible Belt. Uh, one of the things I did in preparation for this was I changed my dating apps to show that instead of being in the city I am in now, to show that I'm in the city that I'm moving into. So I can see in this world of COVID, maybe just go ahead and start virtually dating where, you know, I'm going to be living soon. I met this one guy. We really hit it off very well. He checked some of my favorite boxes, uh, one of which is being he's also bisexual and wants to eventually have an open relationship, and it makes me very happy. But one thing that I noticed when we started opening up after we've been talking for a couple of weeks about some of our kinks and things that we're interested in is he has a cuckolding fetish. It wasn't something that I thought I would be into, but the more I talked to him about it, the more I realized that I am very much into this fetish of his. But what bothers me about it is that he only wants to see his partner sleep with men that he finds attractive, which he specifically refers to as the BBC, you know, the big black cock. As a white woman, I find it very odd to only refer to black men as BBC, and it's hitting me at a um, kind of, this is slightly racist, and you're fetishizing 
a race, you know, and I don't know where is that line of a preference to um, overly fetishizing a race? Where, where do you bring that up that I don't like the fact that you refer to it as BBC? Am I being overly sensitive? Maybe some other black callers could call in and comment on I don't know. In my research, I get mixed opinions on this, but it just seems to strike a chord with me as fetishizing someone for the way they were born. I don't know if it's good or bad. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Michael C. He is the host of the Keys and Anklets podcast, which deals with all things related to the wife-sharing lifestyle. Michael has been involved in the wife-sharing lifestyle, cockolding and hot-wifing for 20 years. He brings a very unique perspective in that he's been both a bull and a stag and also heavily involved in the BDSM lifestyle in New York City. Hey, Michael C., how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for coming on. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to the Keys and Anklets podcast. I think uh, along with Venus Cuckoldress, it's one of the best shows or, or the two best shows out there about cuckolding. And, and you're a black guy for people who right. can't see you. So uh, <laughs> when I got this call, maybe this is a call that a few years ago I might have tackled on my own. But when I got this call, I thought I should get Michael C. on the line and we should talk about this together. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, like I said, hopefully I can bring a little bit of clarity and, and, you know, and a unique perspective to it. This is common. There are a lot of white guys in cuckolding. There's been some research into this and a lot of white guys into cuckolding, particularly white straight guys. It's less common uh, in the gay cuck scene who are interested in seeing their white wives uh, having sex with other men who are black. Uh, right. And the caller is concerned, particularly the way her p- potential new partner, who she's never even met yet, so who knows whether this is going to go anywhere or not once they meet in person, the way he refers to this, the way he talks about the other men that he'd like to see her with, he uses the act, the, you know, the, the abbreviation BBC. For people out there who do not know what BBC stands for, can you explain it to us? Okay, well, it's not the British Broadcasting Company, for sure. <laughs> Within the confines of the lifestyle, uh, BBC just refers to Big Black Cock. Mm-hmm. That's the, the, the short, concise answer to it. <laughs> well, I can understand, I think from listening to her question and her concern, she was a little uncomfortable feeling like it fetishizes black men. Mm-hmm. And I guess there are two, there are two schools of, of thought on it. And from my perspective, all of this is a fetish. You know, like, I feel like those of us who come from the fetish side of things, the BDSM side of things, I notice that we don't really struggle as much with terms and names because everything in this segment has a term and a name. And so when I see people who, who struggle with it, what I try to get them to understand is if you're playing in this sandbox, meaning you're, if you're, you know, if you're a cuckold couple and you're looking for, you know, a man, whether it's a black guy or, or anyone else, it needs to be someone who is at least familiar with this fetish, well-versed with this fetish. And my point being that if you deal with somebody who's playing in the sandbox, then they should know that there are certain things that go with this territory. Mm-hmm. In other words, as a bull, I know that there are couples who have this kind of fetish idea about being with a black man. And in the confines of this lifestyle, 
I'm comfortable with that because I fetishize them too. Now, what it comes down to is how do you treat me outside of the bedroom? Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, outside of the bedroom, do you make me feel like that's all I bring to the table? When we're in the bedroom playing, I don't mind if you want me to be your big, you know, Mandingo Maasai warrior and we're on the same page. I'm cool with that because you're getting off on it. I'm getting off on it. Everybody's having a good time. So what you're talking about is, you know, if you want to fetishize or objectify someone in this way, you need to find a partner who gets off on being fetishized or objectified in that way. Absolutely. But how do you do that without offending or traumatizing people who aren't turned on by being fetishized or objectified in that way? I totally get it. And I've talked about this a lot in all sorts of different variations that, you know, you can be with someone, you can be comfortable being with somebody who objectifies you. We're all objects to a certain extent, objectifies right. you, but so long as they don't just see you as an object, so long as they see you as an object and, you know, the person, the human being that you also are, it is okay. It is actually in some ways affirming to, to be objectified, to have your objectness acknowledged and, and enjoyed. But you don't want to be reduced to an object because you're not just an object. But if you're going to, you know, you're into BBC, you're into this kind of racialized cuckolding fetish play, how do you approach black men who aren't turned on by it the way you are, who aren't necessarily in the lifestyle the way you are without offending them? Or do you just not do that? Do you go to the sandbox that you talk about to find your partners? Well, that's, I guess, I'm not going to say it's where it gets tricky, but that's where people have to kind of take responsibility. In other words, you don't really want to go to a bar or a club or the gym looking for, not, not even just black guys, looking for guys to, to, to fuck your wife or girlfriend. And the reason why I say that is one of the things that I say on my show a lot is there's a big difference between a bull and a guy that just wants to fuck your wife. And the, the, the difference is that a, a man who is a bull, a man who understands, he understands the dynamic. He understands what his role is. He understands the, the part that he plays in this whole dance. Whereas if you just find a guy to, to sleep with your wife or girlfriend, he might not know the rules. And therefore you open yourself up to the potential for things to go wrong because now you have guys who don't understand. They think that, you know, she's sleeping around because she's not happy with you. So now he might see that as an opportunity for him to move in. And it, it just makes things murky when you deal with someone who is not familiar with how things go in this particular sandbox. So if you limit your search to dealing with men who are experienced in this, and there are plenty of guys who experience, I mean, and there are plenty of places to find them, whether it's, it's swinger sites or fetish sites or, or what have you, then you have the opportunity to state what you're looking for right up front. And the bull understands that he's there to enhance your relationship and your sexual connection with your wife, not to, not to take your place. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that's more possible now because more people are aware of cuckolding and there's, you know, the internet didn't exist 20 years ago. It used to be that a cuckold couple didn't really have a choice but to approach people uh, because right. there, there weren't cuckold websites and cuckold podcasts and uh, there wasn't an internet where people could specifically search for guys who are experienced bulls and identify as bulls and understand the role that they're playing in the life of 
a particular couple. Um, I, I want to get back to the to, to the racial aspect. Mm-hmm. We have to acknowledge that you know a white guy with a white wife who's obsessed, or you know a white guy with a white girlfriend who's obsessed with tuckleding and is only interested in black guys sleeping with his girlfriend or wife. That is a desire that, in some way, at some point, was shaped by our racist culture, racist stereotypes about who black men are, what black men want, what black men mean. How do you make sure that you can enjoy the sort of the kinks and the joy and the pleasure that can come with a you know a strong sexual connection, while also understanding, acknowledging how our racist culture can shape our desires without then disallowing those desires to be expressed. Cause you can experience those desires, whether you allow yourself to express them or not. Or right. is there a point where you just say, you know what, you may be interested in this kink. I can, you know, with in three moves, trace your kink back to racism and therefore you may not express it. You should not act on it, but that's not your art. You wouldn't make that argument not to act on it. Right. I mean, for me, like I said, I, I, I tend to keep things simple in the sense of, how do you treat me? How do you treat me? How do you make me feel? You know, because people can say, oh, I don't see color or I'm this way or I'm that way. But yet outside the bedroom, you make me feel like I'm invisible. You make me feel like, you know, that I don't matter. For example, I, I know people who have told stories of, of, you know, black men where they may see a couple in a restaurant or at a store or something. And they've acted like they don't know them. And this is after they've slept with them. Yeah, this, yeah, this is after they've slept together. When they see when they bump into each other in public, they've acted like they don't know them, like they, they don't acknowledge them. And, you know, I can kind of see kind of both sides where a couple might be like, well, we don't want our kink life interfering with our vanilla life. But my thing with that is, you don't have to tell people that we're sleeping together. I could be a friend from work. You know what I'm saying? I could be a guy from the gym. I could be a, a, a parent whose kid goes to the same school. Like you don't have to tell the person that you're with how we know each other. But if I saw somebody in public and they didn't acknowledge me again, I'm seeing how they treat me outside of the bedroom and I might choose to not deal with them anymore. Well, what they're telling, what they're telling you in that moment is they exist in a world where they don't know any black people, don't have any black friends, or don't want to be perceived as knowing black people or having black friends, exactly. which exactly. outs them as racist in a different way than just acknowledging that they have certain kinks, fetishes, or desires that were shaped by racism. And there are a lot of people out there who have sexual interests, sexual desires, kinks that are shaped by powerful and powerfully negative cultural forces. And we see it play out in all sorts of different ways. You know, there's something about power. There's something about fear that are erotic imaginations and sometimes some things about stereotypes and prejudices that our erotic imagination sees on. And we're not in charge of that process. We're actually at its mercy. And our responsibility as adults is to make sure that we can incorporate these things into our sex life in a healthy way and Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't make anybody else feel objectified and dehumanized. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, to, to kind of speak on, on what you just said, and I, I know that you have a lot of experience in, you know, alternative lifestyles and you understand like the, one of the pillars in this community is consent. Mm-hmm. That's one of the pillars of it is, you know, is consent. And 
I can understand where your caller was coming from because I, I dealt with something similar in a similar kind of way in that, you know, as a side note, you know, raised by single mother, all of my friends are from single mothers. I have a younger sister. So I grew up with the, as this person with a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for women, for everything that they go through, for everything that they've gone through, for what they fight against, everything. So as I got older and I started to realize, oh shit, I'm turned on by calling women sluts. I'm turned on by dominating women and tying them up and spanking them. Like, what does that say about me? Am I a misogynist? You know, am I going to be an abuser? Like I was, I was nervous and I was afraid of what this was saying about me. And then I started meeting people in the lifestyle who got me to understand that it's about consent. You know, if you're dealing with the woman and she gets off on being treated a certain way and you both agree to, okay, I can treat you this way because you enjoy it, then that's okay. That's okay. And I kind of see the race thing the same way. Like, in other words, be honest about what you like. If that person is into the same thing, then you can start talking about it. If they're not into it, then you've got to let them walk or you've got to walk. Like, okay, I see that we're not in the same things. I'm sorry. You know, have a nice life, you know, as opposed to trying to force them into your box or you're trying to force yourself into theirs. So the caller needs to understand that there are black guys out there who would enjoy being objectified in this way, in, in a context where they're also respected and valued and, and, and seen as fully human. Um, Absolutely. And, and so she shouldn't necessarily object on behalf of all black men everywhere because there are black men like you out there who enjoy yeah. playing this role in the lives of uh, some white people. Absolutely. Just, just seek, seek out those men. You know, because they're out there. Right. And they are out there. I I think, though, that she should push back against uh, her potential future boyfriend's uh, language that I I think it's legit for her to go to him and say, you know, when you refer to all these, you know, imaginary future sex partners of mine just by their dicks, just by this description of their dicks, I'm uncomfortable with you reducing Mm -hmm. these other men that you want me to sleep with who I am going to connect with human to human, not just genital to genital, just by their genitals. So let's talk about, you know, turns you on to think about me sleeping with a black guy. Okay. But please right. don't use, if it makes her uncomfortable for him to throw BBC around, she can object to that. Absolutely. She, he needs, to, I mean, they need to talk and he needs to respect what she's comfortable with. And she needs to decide if she can respect what he with, with, you know, cause it might be a deal breaker for her. She might say, you know what? This is not my thing. This is not what I signed up for, mm-hmm. you know, because chances are, and this is something that a lot of cucks have in common. They spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. A lot of time thinking about it before they scrape up the courage to raise the subject. Exactly. So if she's not into it, he may say, okay, but he's never going to stop thinking about it. <laughs> I said she decide if she can deal with it. Last question before we let you go. You're a black guy who's slept with a lot of white men's wives and girlfriends. Fuck them in front of them. Right. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going through their heads at that moment? What's your impression? Well, like I said, like you said in in the intro, I, I bring a very unique perspective to this in that in addition to being a a bull, I'm also a stag. In other words, that same thing that they have in their brain that says, I get off seeing my wife, my girlfriend, my woman getting fucked by another guy. 
I have that same thing. I have a woman in my life who's been in my life for nine years. I love her dearly. I'm helping her raise her child and I get off on sharing her. So I know I, I've walked in those shoes mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that who knows where I get it from. All I know is that I have it and I enjoy it, you know, and I get it. Like I, I, and I guess the word for it um, is compersion, mm-hmm. you know, where you're able to enjoy someone else having a good time, even if you're not directly involved with it. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of those feelings that we have inside of us. And it's not for everyone. You know, I understand that there are certain people out there who don't get off on that. But for those of us who do, it's a a tremendous rush. So for people out there who are confused, the difference between a bull and a stag, a bull is usually what's uh, the man who is sleeping with another man's wife or girlfriend in a cuckold context is called. And there's, in a cuckold context, there's usually an element of humiliation or, or degradation right. that is being exploited and enjoyed and it's erotic. A stag is somebody who gets off on his wife or girlfriend sleeping with another man but isn't, doesn't find it humiliating. There's no degradation uh, involved. Exactly. Is there a racial component for you when your female partner of many years sleeps with another man? Do you have a racial preference for the men that she sleeps with? Actually, in that particular case, she brought the preference to the table. I didn't, inf- I didn't impose it upon her. When I met her, she was only into black men. You know, so I didn't have to, you know, to, to do anything or, you know, I had to respect that. Now, for someone like me, in my case, it would almost be nice if she didn't have that preference because it limits me on where we can go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I'm limited. Like I can't go to regular, you know, to different certain types of parties and gatherings because, you know, she's not going to want to play, <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to make her, you know, I mean, like I have to respect her wishes when it comes to that. So, yeah, you know, the price of admission you're willing it, to pay to be with her. It, it, exactly. But she was upfront about it. And then I had to make the decision and say, in other words, I can't agree to it and then complain about it later. Michael C. He is the host of the Keys and Anklets podcast, which deals with cuckolding and hot wifing and bulls and stags. It's a terrific show, uh, Michael, and it was a real thrill to have you on mine. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me and happy holidays to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. All right, before we get to response calls, let's read your tweets. At Jex Farisi tweets, in light of recent events at the U.S. Capitol, I think it's time to bring back ITMFA. Impeach the motherfucker again. You won't even have to change any merchandise because it's the same acronym. True. I'm wearing my ITMFA gear right now. If you've got ITMFA merch at home, now is a good time to pull it out and put it on. We don't have any plans, though, to start selling ITMFA merch again. But I am still proud that my listeners and readers again helped us raise more than $350,000 to fight Donald Trump. At Just Shannon tweets, the laying on your stomach masturbation method described by the first caller on this week's Savage Lovecast is so common. I know quite a few people, both clit and dick owners, who had their first orgasm this way. I know a lot of people had their first orgasm that way too, but people need to mix it up. Fine to have your first orgasm that way. Totally fine actually to have lots of orgasms that way, but you want to mix up your solo masturbation methods because that'll make it easier for you to get off with a partner during partnered sex. That should be covered in sex ed. Never will be though, so we will keep covering it 
here. At Pains, the tweets, is fake Dan Savage deliberately channeling Mora Rose in his Helix mattress ads? I'm hearing some big Shit's Creek vibes. I've never actually watched Shit's Creek. I guess that makes me a bad gay. Not as bad as gays partying in Puerto Vallarta. Not as bad as George Santos but still bad, bad in my own way. I will try to rectify that at some point. I will try soon to sit down and catch the shit creek bug. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hi, this is a comment for the woman whose trans boyfriend was trying to use his packer as a dildo. Well, my trans husband has a... Um, a cock for pretty much every occasion and he never straps it on. I think kind of same thought pattern might be in play there. Strap-ons is a little bit more like lesbian sex in my mind too, I, I guess, but he's never strapped it on. He holds it. He puts it on his thigh. He puts it on his groin area, all, all kinds of things, all kinds of positions. So I don't see why he can't have different cocks too. Hi, this is for the woman whose sister is keeping her nieces and nephews from her. I had a similar situation, and I didn't see my nieces and nephews for about a year. And even though I kept reaching out, it had been a year, and I missed them very much. After a year, I did end up seeing them, and they were so excited to see me that it made my sister feel horrible absolutely horrible for keeping them from me and they ended up spending the night at my house we did you know a little party harry potter thon and it was great it was absolutely wonderful but again just hang in there keep reaching out keep letting them know that you're there and they'll they'll come back hey dan i'm calling about the woman in 741 who felt shame around how she masturbated I have lots of advice for her because I also masturbate this way. There's a whole genre of porn girls showing women humping pillows or pressing into inanimate objects, and I encourage you to check it out. To help you transition into varying your masturbation practice, maybe start small by using a hard pillow or something like that with your wrists almost crossed and go from there. Ages ago, I was mortified confessing how I masturbate to a sex shop owner, and she said, look, I can't recommend anything if you don't tell me how you masturbate. Red-faced, I finally got it out, and she was like, oh, these are the three toys that can be good. My partner loves eating my pussy, so to enjoy oral more, I'm on my back. I probably won't come, so I'll put the pad of my wrist on my pussy, and the pressure reminds my body of when I'm face down, and it's hot. Dan, your suggestion of blindfolding your partner was sexy, and I think I'm going to do it tonight. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for me or a comment about this week's show? There are two, two ways to get them to us. You can call us at 206-302-2064, or you can use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. My Dirty Little Porn Film Festival Hump 2021 is right around the corner. We had the Hump Jury this weekend. We watched all the films. We've got so many great submissions. It's going to be a great new Hump Film Festival. And tickets are on sale now. This year, there are a variety of viewing parties to join, including one with Hump Filmmakers, an all-new viewing party, and one with me, which will be a fully joke viewing party on opening night, January 30th. There are lots of different showtimes, including showtimes that'll work for people in Europe and Australia. So go to Hump Film Fest 
fullycloak.com. Pick your show, grab your tickets now. Join me, please, Fully Cloaked, on opening night for Hump, January 30th, humpfilmfest.com for tickets. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Michael C. and the Keys and Anklets podcast at Keys and Anklets. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll be back at you next week for an installment of Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading and impeach the motherfucker.